0: Numbers chapter 13 and 14, and Joshua chapter 14. I'm going to share with you a message entitled, Give Me This Mountain. Many of you are familiar with the account of Joshua and Caleb and the 12 spies who spied out the promised land. They were called by the leaders to go and look at the land, and they did. They came to an area called Hebron. That was the hill country. They encountered fortified cities there. And they also discovered that the descendants of Anak lived there. Their names were Ayaman, Shishai, and Talmai. I would say that all of you who have been in church for a while, I would doubt that any of you remembered those guys' names. I have 20 bucks in my pocket. I'll give anybody who remembers a name of one of the ten spies. Not cheating. If you can say the name of the ten spies, we'll put twenty bucks up here. And anybody have it? You know, four of them. Are you serious? What's their names? Joshua and Caleb. Who else you know? Somebody look that up. She's throwing me off my game today. She is throwing me off my game. Joshua, look them up. Not, somebody look up. Go ahead. What are they? <laughs> Numbers. Numbers 14. Yeah. What on earth, Melody? You threw me off. Let's look up there. Someone who, if you have it, read it out. Go ahead. What names did you say? Did she get it? She threw me off my game. I've never had anybody know any of those guys' names. Most of us, we know nothing about the names of the three giants that lived in the land or the names of ten of the spies. Usually, we know nothing about them. But we do know this, whenever Joshua went there, when they got to the land, we know this. We know that there were giants in the land that was a distinguishing mark of that area. They collected samples of the fruit, and there were fortified cities there. We're going to come back to that, and we're going to come back to those three names. They collected samples of the fruit of the land, and after 40 days, they returned. And then we pick up here in Numbers chapter 13, verse 26. It says, They came back to Moses and Aaron, and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh, in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them, and to the whole assembly, and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Malachites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. And we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. Then the people begin to complain against Moses and Aaron. And they say, hey, wouldn't it have been better for us to die in Egypt Why is the Lord bringing us out here to die by the sword and to carry our children off as plunder? And they start talking about choosing new leaders and returning back to bondage in Egypt. If you skip down to chapter 14, verse 5, it says, Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb son of Jephneah who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord." And don't be afraid of the people because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. Well, instead of being encouraged, the people want to stone and moving into their destiny and take possession of the promise that God has promised them for centuries. Instead of doing that, the people threaten to stone their leaders. And then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting. And God speaks to Moses. And God says to Moses, how long are these people going to treat me with contempt? Do you realize when you allow fear and doubt in your heart, you are treating the Lord with contempt. God says, how long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed before them? God says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to strike them down with the plague. And Moses, I'll make you into a nation that's greater than what Israel is. But Moses has to talk God down off the ledge. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having to talk God down off the ledge? Moses intercedes before God on behalf of the people. And he said, Lord, everybody's heard about you all the nations have heard about the miraculous signs that you have performed. All of them have heard that you go with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The people know that you are with Israel. If you strike them dead, the nations will say the Lord wasn't able to bring these people into the land he promised them. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Lord, you're slow to anger. You abound in love yet you don't let the wicked go unpunished. Lord, would you forgive them? You've been forgiving them since the day we left Egypt. Would you forgive them one more time? Would you show grace to them one more time like you've been doing? And God says, okay, I've forgiven them, but not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in this wilderness, but who disobeyed me. And tested me. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised to their ancestors. And then God says this. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. They're going to die in the wilderness. If you skip on down to Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, then God makes this statement. Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit. Everybody say different spirit, different spirit. and follows me wholeheartedly. Say wholeheartedly. wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. He's going to possess what he's seeing. If you skip on down to verse 29, it says in this wilderness, God says, your bodies will fall every one of you 20 years old or more who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Those of you who remember the story, God then sends a plague, and 10 of the spies the ones who grumbled, and the ones who spread about report, 10 of them died that day by a plague. But Joshua and Caleb survived. When the news of the plague and the 10 dying comes to the people, the people then all of a sudden decide that now we're going to listen to God. And they say, well, let's set out for the highest part in the hill country. We'll do what God said now. But Moses tell them not to bother because it's too late. God was not going to go with them. And if God didn't go with them, they would be defeated. But they still went ahead. And if you read the story, you find that they were defeated. It's exactly what happened. For a few moments, I want us to focus upon this character, Caleb. What caused him to stand out from the crowd? How comes Melody might remember a few of the names, but all the rest of you? Don't remember those other guys' names. But all I got to say is Joshua and, and you know it. You know the story. Thousands of years later, what was it about Caleb that caused him to distinguish himself from the rest of the people? What enabled him and his children? It wasn't just Caleb. What enabled Caleb and his children after him to possess the land? To have an inheritance in the land. Now the Bible clearly tells us God said it was because Caleb had a different spirit in him. And he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. I believe that those two things are in reality one and the same. That different spirit was one of wholehearted devotion to the Lord. Caleb's name, it means dog. If you read about him, you see that he had the characteristics of a dog. He was loyal and tenacious. He would protect and fight. Caleb was given a great privilege and an honor. He had this privilege and honor of representing the tribe of Judah as they went to search out the land. I want you to keep that in mind. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. It's a privilege to represent God's people. It's a privilege to lead. It's not a burden. It's not a load. It's an honor. Here's something most of you probably have never heard. Maybe a lot of you have. Melody threw me off today. I've never heard anyone preach on this part. But in Numbers chapter 32 verse 12, in Joshua chapter 14 verses 6 through 14, Caleb is identified as Caleb son of Jephneah, the Kinezite. If you study about the Kinezite, In Genesis 15, they're listed as one of the nations who lived in the land of Canaan at the time that God covenanted with Abraham to give the land to his descendants forever. The Kenizzites were an Edomite clan, descended from Esau's eldest son, Eliphaz. So there are some people, some commentators who would suggest that Caleb was not an Israelite by birth. And so, in some ways, he had no true right to an inheritance. It really didn't belong to him. They would suggest that where it says in Joshua chapter 14, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And in Joshua 15 verse 13, unto Caleb he gave a part among the children of Israel are expressions which suggests that Caleb was associated with the tribe of Judah rather than springing from it. If this is true, it would not be the first time that God placed someone where he wanted them, even though in some ways they didn't, it wasn't really rightfully theirs. He did that with Ruth the Moabite. Huh? She's listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ the Messiah, a Moabite. He did that with Rahab, the harlot. He took her from where she was to where he wanted her to be. I tell you that to say this. Have you ever found yourself in a position where you hear a little voice questioning if you really belong? If you really have a right to be there with where you came from? You think you really belong? You ever hear that voice? With where you've been from? With what all you've done? You think you have a right to sit in church? You think you have a right with all you've been through, with all that's happened in your life? You think you have a right to lead in this way? Those who go from our prison ministry team, you think you have a right to preach in prison? Who are you? Those who share with our clarity group on. Friday nights in Ephrata, you think you have a right to preach to people and witness to people on the street? Some of you who teach a class, I would be very hard to believe that you have not one time or another heard a voice saying, who are you? Who do you think you are? When God plants something in your heart, when He births something in your heart that He wants you to do for Him, and you start taking that step of faith and you start moving out, many times people hear a voice that questions them and questions the validity of their calling and their right, their right to be used in that way. You think you? You think you are a deacon? You think you're a leader? Friends, the enemy tries to give all the reasons that will disqualify you from being used of God. The things he's birthed in your heart, the visions he's placed in your heart, the desires he's placed in your heart, the enemy will give all kinds of reasons to disqualify you and say that you are not fit or you are not worthy for that. Friend, I'm so glad that the Lord has given you a different spirit. That's what's springing up inside of you. It's that different spirit that he has placed on the inside of you. It's because you want to follow him wholeheartedly that he has positioned you and he's using you. See, Joshua had a different spirit. He wanted to go in and take possession of the land. But the people refused. And so the nation had to wait. You say, Pastor, what were they waiting for? They had to wait until all of those who had seen God's glory and the miraculous signs, but still chose to live in unbelief till they all died off. That's what they had to wait for. You got to wait till you guys die. That was it. They could not go in and possess the land until all of those who had seen the glory of God and witnessed his power and witnessed his might. And instead of following him in faith and trust, they treated him with contempt and disobeyed. No, the giants are too big. The Ammonites are there. The other people are there. All of the things that stood in the way, the Hittites, we can't go in and possess the land. They forgot how big their God was. And so as a result of that, everybody had to wait until they died off. Now, the Bible doesn't say it. But I have a unique imagination. I imagine during those 40 years, Caleb's like, let's do it. I'm ready. Let's go. We can do it. Over 40 years, almost 45 years, Caleb became domesticated. The Bible doesn't say that he did. But any of you guys have been married for a while. You know what I'm talking about. I'm telling you, I'm preaching to somebody today. I'm just telling I'm preaching to somebody you know how it is helping the wife out he probably did his share of manna runs Caleb while you're out could you pick up some manna oh I cried. yeah dear no problem late in the afternoon she didn't get Caleb would you would you mind getting oh yeah honey not a big deal and if he was a good husband which I can imagine Caleb probably was Maybe a few times during the week with the kids being young and his, all the responsibility that his wife had, he probably helped out around the house and maybe tried out a new manna recipe once in a while. Fried manna. Baked manna. Banana bread, there you go. <laughs> little manana bread. Sautéed manna with wild herbs. I'm made for something more than this. What am I doing? Yeah, I'll get the manna, but God, I, there's something inside of me that says you got something more for me. I'm doing what I'm supposed to. Don't want the wife mad at me. Got to pick up some manna. I know I'm doing what, but I know that you got something more for me. Something in his heart that whole time longed for something more. Lord, there's more. I know you've created me for something greater than banana bread. I can see him as he became a grandfather. I imagine he took his turns chaperoning the kids, the grandkids' school field trips. Maybe once in a while he'd have the grandkids over for a camp out. And I don't know if they had like Oscar Mayer hot dogs or what kind of hot dogs they bought, you know. But but I, I can imagine him having a fire with the grandkids and camping out and telling them stories about what it was like. Their friends had come over. It was a land, listen, it's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. You would not believe how big the grapes are. It took two guys with a pole to carry one bunch of grapes. I mean, you would not believe. I'm telling you, it's everything you can imagine and more. And there were giants there, but I'm telling you, we could have taken them. We could have beat him. I can imagine Caleb just longing for another opportunity. But tomorrow he has to take the kids on another field trip. And he has to help the wife clean the house. And someone's got to clean the tent. He longed for something more. Those of you who have been here long enough, you know my brother's a treasure trove of sermon illustrations for me. Two or three weeks ago, he went down in Dover... It's the Capitol down in Delaware. He went to the DMV after work. He takes his number and he goes over and sits down in the corner to wait for his turn. In Delaware at the DMV, whenever they run people's license, if a person has warrants or is wanted for arrest, the computer system flags them. There's a Capitol police officer who's stationed there. They work and if if someone's wanted... The clerk will notify them, and the officer will deal with the person. Well, there was a 27-year-old man who was wanted. And when the police officer approached him, the man hit him in the face and knocked him down, and he took off running out the door. My brother heard the commotion. He jumps up, and he starts chasing the guy. He runs him down through the parking lot, a couple hundred yards. He tackles him from behind, and he controls him until the police get there. As he walks back into the DMV, there's this lady who starts yelling at him. And she starts saying, Hank, you still got it. You still got it. He had to jump on you. He was already out the door when I saw you jump up. But you ran him down. Hank, you still got it. You tell your wife, you still got it. My brother smiled and he said, oh, she knows. (laughs) Now, you may be sitting there minding your own business, going through the routine, doing the ordinary. But there is still some unfinished business. There are some promises that God has made to you. Like Pastor Rodney said last week. There are some things that God has placed on your heart for Lighthouse, and there's some things He's placed on your heart for the kingdom of God. And when the opportunity arises, when the challenge comes your way, I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ that you've still got it. Yeah. <laughs> you still got it. You tell your wife, you've still got it. Listen to me. You're not too old. You're not too tired, you're not too slow, you're not too beat up, you're not too weary. It's not been too long. You got another victory in you. You got another battle in you. You got another fight in you. You got another mountain with your name on it. And there's some giants that are squatting on your property. Property that rightfully, it rightfully belongs to you. To you and your offspring. It's time for the enemy to be evicted and you are just the person to do it. You still got it. Look to the person next to you and say, you still got it. Say, tell your wife you still got it. Oh, it's nice. Don't that feel good? Look to someone else. Just tell them, say, you still got it. Turn around. You got to look around to somebody. Look behind you. Tell someone. Say, you still got it. It's nice. It's nice when someone tells you you still got it. Some of you, I can see the change in your countenance on your face. It feels good when someone tells you you still got it. But it's a whole nother level when you stand up and you declare it for yourself. And that is exactly what Caleb did. Joshua 14. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Who is he? He's the guy who doesn't really belong here. He's the guy who in many ways people would say, well, what do you think you're doing here? Said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Canaish Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old. It's been a long time. I was 40 years old. Joshua, I was 40. When Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to the explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord. My God, wholeheartedly. And so on that day, Moses swore to me. It's been a long time, Joshua. But he swore to me. He promised me. The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. Why? Because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord has promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since that time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. But I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and that their cities were large and fortified. But listen to this. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephneah, and he gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephnia, the Jephunneh, the guy who doesn't rightfully own it, ever since. Why? Because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me? I still got it. I got more fight. I got more strength. I got more promises that need to be taken hold of. There are souls that need to be reached. There are broken lives that God has said he would restore. Friend, I got another victory. I am long due. Come on now. I'm long due for another win. I got some unfinished business that needs to be taken care of. I'm not through yet. Now is not the time to be passive. Now is not the time to shrink back. Now is the time to step forward boldly and to declare that the Lord give me this mountain. I know there are giants. I know there are obstacles in the way. But the greater one lives inside of me. And with your help, God, I'll drive them out. I'll take possession of your promise for me and my family and my church. Look to the person next to you and say, Pastor still got it. Now tell them, I still got it. I got another fight. Tell them I got another fight. I got another victory. I am due for a big win. win. In Joshua chapter 15 verse 14, it says from Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites. Here's their names. Shishashi, Ammon, and Talmai, the sons of Anak. If you read on further down, his daughter's name was Oxa, and she wanted more land. He gave her an inheritance. But she came back, and she wanted more. So he gave her the upper and the lower springs. Now, some of you say, well, wait a minute. Do girls get an inheritance in the Bible, Bible times? When your daddy's Caleb, you get an inheritance. Amen. How about we raise up a generation that expects to be victorious. That men, women, boys, and girls expect God to give you the victory. Tell someone next to you, say, I still got it. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that we still got it. That the greater one lives inside of me. And he's at work in our lives and he's going to accomplish his purposes. I thank you that the promises of God are yea and amen. And so we determine in our hearts to take possession of what you have for us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen.